before we begin, I just want to do an official welcome to everybody. So we welcome you in the name of God. We welcome you in the name of our creator and caretaker. In the name of the one who takes us and makes us, finds us and frees us. The one who mothers us, mothers us and leads us, shepherds us and feeds us. The one in whom all sufficiency is found. The source of all goodness, all power, all kindness, all love, all justice and mercy are all in all. In the name above all names, we welcome you. We don't know the details of your day, your week, your year, but I know my own story. And I know I have felt the weight of tired religion and empty busyness on my shoulders. And I have felt the suffocating darkness of doing and being too much and not enough all at the same time. I have been the outsider, the misfit. I have felt the sting of loss and of not belonging. Is that you too? Did I see that hand? Then welcome, because this is the day. Circle it on your calendars, mark it with a star, place a sticker on the chart of your life, write about it in story and song, because this is the day that freedom begins. This is the day that we leave busyness and chaos behind and embrace a life so big and expansive and a love so big and expansive, we will struggle to find words to describe it. But in the place of words, we will find the delightful presence of God, the untamed power of God, and the soul-freeing purpose of the God who made us. Shake off those shackles of perfectionism, of giving up, of striving, of not measuring up. Shake off the crippling heaviness of trying so hard to be something you were never created to be and enter into the rest of God. Let go of the tiny pocket-sized Jesus we love to control and limit and embrace the rest of him, the mystery of him, all of God. The rest of God is found in letting go of the little we can understand and embracing the rest. Take that little piece of calm you're desperately trying to hold on to in this summer chaos and let God's peace rest on you. Let God's fullness of peace fill you. The wholeness of God's peace wrap you up in love. Hear the Prince of Peace whisper, you are enough. Rest in the peace that is always there for you and let go of the soul-destroying process of fitting in. That soul-destroying process creates that fitting in in you and instead see the table set before you. It is wide and long and there is room enough for each and every one. Here, May you know by virtue of your breath and your being that you are in Christ. No one by their theology or doctrines or rules or regulations can take this truth that begins in the very core of who you are and we are made to be. No one can take that away from you. In Christ, all belong. So in Christ's name, by his grace and through his love, we welcome you. So the question in the round table, it's kind of like we are prepping our imaginations and our minds for being able to um, listen actively to what is going to be shared. Today, Jeff is sharing and looking forward to that. So the question you are free to either type in the comments 
or you're free to unmute yourself um, and share what you think is, how do you define faithfulness? And, or tell us about a time or way in which you were faithful or when someone expressed faithfulness to you. So when I think personally about um, how do I define faithfulness, I think I would have, this is one of those things that has changed, is changing for me. And I think that I would have defined it as doing the right thing, being faithful. And, um, and you know, having to do with trust and obedience and all of that kind of thing. And I think, and I'm just, this is my working definition. I, I, uh, I have, I give myself permission to continue to expand and change that idea. Also, um, you know, Jeff might just blow the doors off of it today too. Who knows? But for me now, when I think about faith and faithfulness, it feels more connected to doubts that I have made friends with. So being faithful means being curious, being open to, it's like this showing up, but without the rigidness of, of it having to be that way, like connected to, it is more connected to my doubt. It is more connected to my questions. It's more connected to like this relational experience of living and doing and being, um, but always showing up. So, oh yes. And I see that Sarah is saying, if you can let us know either in the comments or just verbally when you, um, when you unmute and share, if it is all right for us to um, include that in the audio that we post on our podcast every week. So if you just are like, I'm cool to have this added, that's, it is an opt-in, not an opt-out. So if you want to share, please um, unmute yourself and give it a go. chatty bunch this morning I like what uh, Carol put in the chat there um, showing up is being faithful and I was thinking um, letting my my words and my actions line up is also being faithful that's a pretty simplistic version but um, if you can get that you're you're well on your way. Totally. I like that. Thanks, Eden. I'm going to go with a, a sense of trusting in a God who is faithful and trustworthy, but also profoundly mysterious. Excellent. I'm just going to read a couple of comments here. We've got um, sticking with someone or a cause, regardless of the obstacles or challenges that may come along. And then I also see someone has said it's that the idea of faithfulness is sort of a loaded word for me. 
Uh, it makes them think of needing to make sure I was always at church. I get that. Yeah. I think Karina, for me, this is Laura. And yes, Hi, Laura. this can go in, this can go in the, whatever that thing is you were talking about the podcast. I think for me is that um, just wanting to pursue God and know him better and what that looks like, regardless of um, the diverse church, small C church experiences we've had. Um, and a lot of them have been pretty lousy and a lot of them, have, some of them have been good, but the core of every one of them has, we want to know God and serve people. And that has led us through some really rough times, but that's always been there. So that for me has been a demonstration of faithfulness. Excellent. Thanks for sharing that, Laura. Yeah, I think, I think that's faithfulness isn't always easiness for sure. I've got a couple more in the comments here. Um, uh, when I was hoping and dreaming for my husband, my dream man would have had a beard, be Christian and love water skiing. Now after 45 years, faithful is one of my favorite things about uh, her husband. Um, as Maybe I'm thinking as opposed to like having a beard is not her favorite thing, but maybe the faithfulness is a favorite thing and faithful equals true, honest, real and trusting. I love that. We've got another comment that says, for me, being faithful is being discerning on when to not quit and keep going when it's time to push through, trusting the character of God and following through when he says, keep moving regardless of your feelings. Those are great. Thank you for sharing. All right. So thank you everybody for um, your thoughts and we value those. So I am going to hand it over to Eden right now, who is going to lead us through communion. So uh, thanks Eden for taking that. Good morning, everyone. I hope um, you've taken a minute ahead of time. And if not, maybe you could just right now um, 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 I, I hope that you've had a minute to, um, collect your communion elements, um, whatever you choose to use for that this morning. And if not, you're welcome to go and, um, get those while I'm chatting. Um, Brad and I are currently, uh, anticipating, the arrival of our middle son, uh, Justice, in three weeks from today. So we haven't been together for nearly three, uh, three years. And in planning the short two-week trip that he'll be here, I asked him about things he wanted to eat and places he would want to go. Uh, because he lives in Korea, he missed his grandmother's passing in April of 2020. And so he asked if we could go visit her graveside and bring some flowers. So we're about to receive communion. And I see some correlation between Justice's desire to go to his grandma's graveside and the role of communion 
in our faith cycle. Communion is about us coming close to Jesus again, acknowledging his life, his purpose, and his willingness to die for us. At the Last Supper, he asked us to eat and drink in remembrance of him. So here at the bridge, we do that each Sunday that we meet. Communion is not meant to be us looking back at what Jesus did, but rather it is meant to acknowledge in the present what Jesus is doing now. He is present and he loves us fiercely. I would encourage you this morning as you receive communion to take a moment to look back at this week and ask Jesus, where did I encounter you? And then as we eat and drink, let's raise our glasses to toast Emmanuel God with us as we enter and encounter him again. So God, your life and presence is vital to our faith and we are grateful for you in our lives. Thank you for taking on humanity and for knowing full well what it's like to be us. Thank you for being present with us each day and that you have never left us or forsaken us. Amen. So let's take the bread and the cup and do this in remembrance of him. We're going to listen to um, Jeff share with us now. And uh, Jeff, I've been looking forward to he hearing you share this morning all week. So <clears throat> I just want you to know that we're better because as a community, because of yours and Bonnie's presence in it. And as a community, we invite your voice into our midst and we are cheering you on um, as you share with us what you've discovered this week. Blessings on you, Jeff. Thank you very much, Eden. Hey, everyone. Um, I have uh, really appreciated the um, uh, way in which the bridge actually shares amongst the community, the kind of the communal interactive nature of these uh, talks. 
instead of just one authority spewing, uh, you know, the, their pure wisdom on us. I actually really l- like listening to an authority figure um, spew wisdom on me. Don't get me wrong. But in the realm of faith, it's not always uh, quite that simple and straightforward. And um, and having the discussion that just feels so much more supportive. And, and I've, um, like me, like many of us, my faith is kind of, I mean, we all um, kind of evolve over time, right? Um, I really appreciated uh, listening to Carter last week. Um, and just the, you know, there's so much uh, that Carter could say, oh, th- that's it, I'm done uh, with church. And uh, they're still here. And I want to talk a little bit about why faith may be worthwhile. Um, forgive me if I sound tentative about that, because um, sometimes it seems like it isn't, but I, I do really genuinely think it is. And um, the questions are about faithfulness instead of faith uh, per se. But anyways, um, I started reading the passages of the lectionary weeks, probably months ago, actually. And I had a hard time making sense of them. I, I finally came to the gospel reading and I thought, oh, great. I can talk about prayer because I've discovered centering prayer in the last number of years. And it's, I mean, actually changed my life. Um, then I realized I was in the wrong chapter and it wasn't about prayer at all. So I went back to the passages and looked again. And um, every time I take a look, I had less that I really wanted to say about them. I'm sorry, this is my cynical self uh, coming out here, maybe. Um, but, uh, well, I'll go through them real quick, okay? Um, I don't know who, how the, how the lectionary passages are chosen, but 1 Samuel 9, I mean, basically, it kind of honors a classic human approach to leadership, outward appearance, Saul was tall, handsome, tall, dark, and handsome, and uh, he was cho- chosen as a as a leader of the people. I'm thinking, okay, that's why. And then he was supposed to kind of help save the people from the humiliation at the hands of the Philistines. And what's going on there? I don't know. It just seemed kind of messed up. Um, psalm 22 is uh, is the psalm reading. Um, first of all, the lectionary uh, people decide to skip over the beginning which as an enneagram seven i would totally do too because stuff about being a worm and uh, scorned and you know all that kind of stuff no thanks um but you know like later on in the psalm like a good christian the psalmist goes on to praise the lord anyway miraculously leaving behind the rough times so cool and then there's stuff in there about dominion belonging to the lord and he ruling over the nations and all the rich of the earth will feast and worship them okay i don't know there's some things in there that are interesting but it just seems kind of messed up to me as well so let's go to the new testament because the new testament you know easier to easier to understand and make sense of well go ahead and read first corinthians 4 i if you figure out what it's about gosh let me know i mean it basically it seems like Paul is saying, hey, it sucks to be a Christian, um, especially a Christian leader. I, I don't know if he's, I think maybe he's saying there's a cost to really follow Jesus. Okay. Maybe he's actually just saying the world is messed up. I mean, look, our founder, Jesus, was was basically, I mean, he was perfect, but he still ended up getting killed, right? Anyways, 
Next passage, Luke 19. Finally, you can always trust Jesus to say something really sensible and uh, and deep and uh, to move on. Well, this is, to say the least, a strange parable. It's about slaves being rewarded and punished. And the slave master is brutal, absolutely brutal. And Jesus doesn't say anything about kind of saying, hey, like slavery isn't really cool or anything like that. It's just all in there. And if you're like me, you just kind of assume that the slave master is God and we're the slaves. I mean, no wonder we have such a dark picture of God sometimes. I'm sorry, I, I don't get it. Um, there is a clue at the beginning of the parable. Um, it says, he told them a story to correct the impression that the kingdom of God would begin right away. And by the way, they were on their way into Jerusalem. So he's about to get killed, actually. So I think he might tell this bizarre story, in, at least in part, to say, hey, like, things could get rough um, when you live by faith. Kind of is the way I take it. Anyways, if you listen to the lectionary um, uh, commentary that we've got, um, they say if you take all of these passages together, they sit, they indicate the futility of trying to name God in human terms or trying to confine her to human systems and we need new language and even then it would be inadequate okay that's fine but i'm still struggling with why are these passages there why did they get stuck and saved in the bible it seems messed up so i thought okay that's what i'm going to talk on faith in an effed up world uh, a messed up world a mucked up world um you know something like that I mean, look, life is rough. I'm not gonna show, ask for a showing of hands here, but you know, like anybody stressed out by people you don't agree with at work or people that are hard to get along with, even people in your own family or that you live with, relationships get strained. Sometimes they fall apart. I mean, things don't go right. People get sick, people die. Inflation, cost of living, Anxiety and depression, holy cow, looming large and sucking life, right? And all around the world, war, innocent people dying, famine, starvation, and exposure while other people get richer. Refugee, the whole thing, like, could talk about that. Wildfires, global warming, human byproducts and garbage wrecking Mother Earth. Gun violence, mass murders, racism, patriarchy being ostracized based on gender, et cetera. Did I mention a pandemic? Like, it gets kind of ugly, right? And here's a problem in any of the things I just went through and a lot of other dark things, you could probably point fingers at some Christian somewhere who may have instigated some of it or even making it worse by the stuff that they're spewing about it. Or maybe even worse, some Christian ideas in your head might be actually making things worse instead of better. Where's the Christian God and all? Beam me up, Scotty. This place sucks, right? It's, it's a funny meme, but that's kind of the way we look at our Christian God sometimes. Uh, we want God to just help us escape but I'm sorry, folks, the Christian God does not help us escape. 
the Christian God walks with us through difficulty and we usually get transformed on the way. The interesting thing is that these passages are in there. And I think the Christian Bible, instead of offering certitudes, yeah, you can take verses and make certitudes out of them, but faith is not certitudes. We heard some of the things that faith is, but it's not certitude. But I think the Bible exemplifies living in a difficult world where faith can help you navigate through and hopefully experience the wonder that life is right through all the messiness and wonderfulness of life. In fact, having the messy Bible probably makes Christian faith stronger, like at least more applicable to real life. Like life is hard. We need help. I think that that's what faith can do, not just help us cope, but hopefully help us thrive and even help others thrive. What would that look like? Well, there could be a whole list of things. I just thought I'd highlight a few little areas that, at least for me, my Christian faith, I think is helping me. One of them is just uh, a sense of wonder and awe which is also a sense of connection. I hope I'm going to talk about that a bit. Um, another one is compassion. Um, and another one is engagement instead of trying to escape the world, trying to be involved. Um, these things all blend into each other and there's so many more that you could add, but you could probably name these areas with things like joy, love, peace, Oh, did we mention patient, patience, kindness, goodness, etc. Like Galatians 5.22. These things sound familiar, right? The fruit of the spirit. I think for Paul, that these things were actually a result of living faithfully. It, I'm, I'm sorry, again. Um, <laughs> spoiler alert. Um, like once you accept Jesus into your heart, you don't magically have all the love, joy, peace just oozing out of you. Um, I mean, some of that can happen, but it's, it's more than that. It's like um, living in the awareness of God, of our connectedness with God, and living every thought, word, and action in that way. You're living in the spirit. And that's when these things start to grow and show. At least that's what I think and hope. Um, unity with God, oneness in Christ is about wonder, joy, and perspective, at least for me. You ever stop and look at the stars? Maybe the northern lights? How about small insects? Flowers? Maybe just a little stone somewhere if you look at it really closely. You ever take some deep breaths of the forest or mountain air? You ever get lost in the sounds of the ocean waves? They just keep on lapping and lapping or roaring and roaring actually in some places, right? Have you seen some of the images from the web telescope? You must look. I mean, reality is amazing it's just amazing as a um, as a doctor I recall being in medical school and I, I remember like just kind of jaw-dropping things about how our body functions I mean 
I'm, I'm sorry, people. It's not that, that surprising that we get sick and things don't work. It's actually really amazing and unbelievable that our bodies are working in the way they are in the first place. Um, so consider something here. If you lost your hand, would you still be you? What if you lost a whole leg? What if you were quadriplegic or you had memory loss? What if all the cells in your body were replaced by new ones? Would you still be you? By the way, all of those cells have been replaced, almost all of them, every seven to 10 years. Weird stuff. Um, the question is, how do you define you? Like you're made up of the, of the molecules and the atoms inside of you, but is that what you are? Can you def be defined without reference to your family, where you live, all the people in your community, your entire society? You cannot be defined without all of those things, without all those people, without those molecules. So what makes you, you? Apart from your body, your community, the world, the entire universe, you don't have a definition. You're made of the same stuff stars are. You are inextricably a part of the earth. You're, you're produced by the earth. You're, you're in it. Um, you're of it. You're part of this, this galaxy. You're part of this universe. And you is not a concept that stops at the end of your fingernail or toenail. You is something that involves things much smaller than you and things much larger than you. Um, to me, understanding this is about um, union with God. And the Bible has a lot to say about being united with Christ. And when you start maybe exploring what that means a bit, it's a pretty big deal. It's, it seems like union with Christ is kind of our goal in the New Testament. I would say that union with Christ is impossible to escape. It's just that we forget and we only see our separation. This, my friends, is a survival mechanism. We are made to stay alive, to see any threat and it forces us to see the dark side of things, to see the negative. And we tend to forget the positives because we don't necessarily need them for survival except to just pursue more food and that sort of stuff. Anyways, I'm talking about something, I'm, I'm kind of digressing a little bit, uh, which I'd love to talk about more if we have time. But I think the gift of being human is being able to appreciate the wonder of our existence being aware of our connection with everything. I think most of creation is so connected as a, that's just the way it is. It, it, most of creation doesn't have to think about being connected, but we get to be aware of it. Um, being a, aware of our connection with everything also means our communion with God. Richard Rohr, 
thinks faith in the Bible is better translated as trust in goodness. You can think of the Trinity as the source of all, the incarnation of God into all, and the breath of God in all. Richard Rohr writes, if God is Trinity and Jesus is the face of God, by the way, that's what we believe as Christians, then it is indeed a benevolent universe. God is not someone to be afraid of, but is the very ground of being and is inherently, objectively, and concretely on our side. To trust this is to have faith. I'm a Richard Rohr disciple, so I'm just going to quote him on some things here. Religion's primary and irreplaceable job is to bring the foundational truth of our shared identity in God to full and grateful consciousness. I am going to read that again. Religion's primary and irreplaceable job is to bring the foundational truth of our shared identity in God to full and grateful consciousness. Um, another one, what a difference this makes in the way we walk through the world, in how we encounter every person in the course of a day. It is as though everything that seemed disappointing and fallen, all of the major pushbacks against the flow of history can now be seen as one whole movement, still enchanted and made use of by God's love. All of it must somehow be usable and filled with potency, even the things that appear as betrayals or crucifixions. That is a hard teaching, Rabbi Richard. Um, I got to just, yeah, I have time. I'm going to tell a quick story about something I learned recently. Spiders, um, there's about 50,000 species or something like that. And they are solitary creatures, make their web, you know, catch stuff, eat it. Um, except for like, at least one species of spiders, maybe several species of spiders, they're, they they work and live and work in community. There's about a thousand of them together. Um, this one kind, I, I could search it for you and tell you later, but anyways, um, there's some, some good YouTube stuff on it. They spin their web together and capture prey much larger than themselves or stuff that they couldn't catch on their own because these are, these are small, small spiders. Um, the web is essentially an extension of their own nervous system. It's how they sense everything around them. And these things, in a huge web, they all move in concert. But the way they sense where the prey is and what the next move needs to be in order to capture the prey is to stop and sense what's going on in the web. So they all, in concert, we're talking hundreds of spiders, move on the web, stop, sense what's going on, move in the web, stop, sense what's going on. And they do this all in concert. Are they, are they talking to each other? Well, they're not talking to each other. They're like one organism. It's, it's bizarreness. It reminded me of like our brain, the way our brain is just a network, a neural network of things kind of communicating with one another all the time. I mean, it's what we are. We're part of an entire massive network. You can't not be a part of it. You just are. You're a wave in the ocean. 
you're the ocean. There's so much more to the ocean than just you, but you don't need to worry if you're a perfect wave. The ocean is perfect. Or to put it another way, you are a branch on the vine. Does that sound familiar? So if we really are a small but distinct, wonderful and loved part of an incredible larger whole connected to everything, then we cannot but help have compassion. Sorry, we can't help but have compassion on the rest of the whole. We are a part of it, so we will be more engaged in it. And that brings me to kind of another part, and that's the compassion. Uh, Jesus, remember when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Uh, a very interesting passage because um, it starts with him healing them. Big deal. And then he says right after that, pray the Lord of the harvest because the fields are ripe, etc." You could You could read that in awkward ways, but basically I think he's saying like, look people, um, it's there to be involved in. Um, anyways, uh, I'd, I'd say that our founder, Jesus, is pretty much the best example of compassion, maybe in all of history. I think that makes me a Christian. Maybe it does. Um, I think that that came from him realizing his unity with God and all. Uh, Doris Day, um, many of you might know that reference, um, I think from the 60s, uh, worked tirelessly um, for the good of so many workers and so on. Um, when you, this is her quote, when you love people, you see all the good in them, all the Christ in them. God sees Christ in us and loves us. And so we should see Christ in others and nothing else and love them. That's hard to do. Um, compassion does not require you to change your beliefs. Compassion understands that other people may prioritize different values. Compassion creates the possibility for more deeply understanding both sides of a polarized debate or topic and the possibility of tolerating differences and making room for others. Um, I'm sure I got that from someone. I'm sorry, I don't know the reference. Um, I mean, basically, <laughs> compassion makes you happier and brings peace to the world. Sounds good, right? But it's hard. Um, I would suggest developing some sort of practice to develop a sense of unity and compassion, maybe a meta mindfulness thing. We could talk about that and centering prayer and that sort of stuff. There's different ways, obviously. These uh, one, one route doesn't work for everybody. Um, anywho, um, when you see Christ in people, you will be much more likely to treat them with kindness. But true kindness requires some investment, some engagement, maybe some action. So investing yourself, getting in there, or standing on the side. Um, maybe you remember this quote. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. John 10, 10, Jesus said that. Wait, Jesus said that his purpose is to give us 
a rich and satisfying life. I don't think he was just talking about us, the people that attend church on Sunday morning. That's amazing. Um, Jean-Pierre Ducassaud, a Jesuit priest in the 1700 era, understood faith as a matter of radical trust that God is working through all the circumstances of your life, whether good or bad by our judgment, these circumstances. Um, I liked Steve's uh, thing, trusting God who is faithful, even though mysterious, you don't know. I mean, uh, Cassode's um, approach to faith sounds a little bit like all things work together for good to those that love God. Like, does that mean that they work out for bad for those who don't love the Lord? Or does it mean it always goes better for people who do love the Lord? I mean, definitely, I think if you have connection and compassion, generally speaking, things will go more well. But hello, we've already established that this isn't that simple. Um. I think it's more a matter of perspective. If you are following Jesus and you have that sense as he did of connectedness and compassion, you will see that God is in everything and it can help manage to get through. Once again, I could digress here to our default human view or approach, fear and scarcity based greed centered as opposed to understanding security and abundance generosity i think to be a good human at least to be a good christian probably means going against our survival instincts hmm to live out a better social order for instance galatians 3:28 there's no greek or jew There's no slave or free, no male or female. What is that about? Like Paul discovered a massive revelation. We're all one. No. (laughs) Um, Carol said showing up faithfulness. Yeah. I, I think... I think it means showing up, but sometimes it's so hard. And I think it needs to come out of our understanding of the world, our perspective. And then we will hopefully be able to have the strength to show up when it's really hard. Um, Back to the parable, Luke 19, the one that we started that was so confusing. I mean, at least one thing you can get out of there is that it's the invested servants who were the rewarded ones. I don't think Jesus is indicating some eventual reward, like, hey, people, invest yourself and you'll get a big room in heaven. I think Jesus is saying, this is the way reality is, people. Invest yourself and you will be rewarded right here, right now. Um, It's hard, but I think it's worth it. Faith can make a difference. I think to live and think differently from the world system, um, we need to appreciate and recognize and have a different approach. Understanding that the very that every thought, word, action makes you into the person you are becoming. 
and makes the world into the place it is becoming. Um, here's a little question. Do you think the world will just get better if you do nothing? Well, instead of making that a big heavy, I just wanna say doing something, that's faith. Um, how are we doing for time? Um, I'm gonna quickly just add a couple of things that I learned uh, in my profession. Um, in particular, lately, I would say mental health has become a large part of that. Um, Lori Santos is, um, maybe some of you recognize her name, the Happiness Lab researcher out of, uh, not Stanford this time, it's on the other side, um, it's Harvard. Anyways, um, here are some things that are known and proven to increase happiness. Okay, whenever somebody says, hey, research proves, take it with a grain of salt and be, be critical of what you're thinking. But I just want to tell you that these are things that are known to improve happiness. Friends, family, community, connectedness. In fact, many of us in the profession have learned that the opposite of addiction is not abstinence. The opposite of addiction is connectedness. Um, another thing, uh, helping contributing. Gratitude is known to improve your happiness, reduce depression, having intrinsic goals as opposed to extrinsic goals. Intrinsic goals are like, I want to grow in this way. I'm looking for this, this kind of, I want to be this kind of person in my relationship, a desire to help those kinds of things. Extrinsic goals are, I want to make so many dollars. I want to have this image. I want to have this status. Those things provide less satisfaction and more anxiety than the intrinsic goals for sure. Um, compassion. Compassion increases happiness. Um, meditating on compassion and doing acts of kindness increase your happiness. Um, so these are all depression fighters, anxiety fighters. Um, guess what? Taking part in religious practices such as mindfulness and prayer community things absolutely these things help as well here's an interesting idea doing things for others being others centered volunteering giving these things help you and the world become better treating yourself i don't want to overstep this but you got to self-care yes um Treating yourself actually doesn't work. Um, this is, you know, stuff that Laurie Santos has said. Now, the interesting thing I want to say here is religions have known these things for centuries, doing things for others, being part of the community, volunteering, giving up stuff from yourself to give to others. But they give us the impression that it's that doing these things is in order to be a good person, in order to gain some reward, that sort of stuff. I think we're missing the point. It's just having faith is the way to live and to have life and to experience life. So it's just a different way of understanding some of the things that have been handed down to us for ages. Um, and another thing, um, so the same physio physiological or phenomenological experience can be very positive or very negative, depending on your framing. For instance, like extreme physical exertion, whether it's climbing Everest or you know anything like that, you can scale it down to anything small as well. Um, 
it can be a painful experience, but it's absolutely exhilarating if you have the perspective. Perspective is so much if you understand the narrative that you're telling yourself. And I think we need to learn in faith what those things, um, which ways we can do, uh, understand things to help us instead of uh, hurt us. So how you see the world and the story you're telling yourself makes a difference. So in summary, may I encourage you, see the unity of everything and yourself in it. Have compassion on yourself and on everything around you. Engage in the world around you for God's sake. For God's sake? Yeah, which means for your sake and the world around you as well. Thanks. Thank you, Jeff. Wow, that's a lot to be thinking about, hey? It's awesome. It, it was a lot to be thinking about. I had to carve it down an awful lot. <laughs> um, I appreciated um, what you did with the scripture <laughs> or how honest you were with the scripture and and how difficult some of these passages are to try to um, make sound like good news, right? And um, um, and that's that's a truth um, that I think was kind of skirted for a lot of us growing up in church. And uh, I really appreciated that you were willing to just put that out there and say, "Hey, this is really hard." Um, but um, your your conclusions and the things that you brought us to were just Fantastic. Well, I'll, um, I'll close with a blessing. And then um, I think we're going back to Jeff just to give one last, or uh, sorry, Josh, just to give one last um, um, announcement or something like that. But Jesus, um, thank you for speaking so clearly to us today, using Jeff's thoughts and his mouth and his whole process through this last while as he's kind of wrestled with things. Help us to see how we are connected to others. Help us to see you, Jesus, in others and give us eyes to see you within ourselves as well. Thank you, Jesus, for all you give us and for all the ways we are connected with you. In your name we pray. Amen.